0: You, my missing
1: puzzle piece
0: I'm complete I was just
2: Welcome to Two Daydream Believers Podcast. I am your host, Space in 18. Today we are tackling two uh, episodes. We're doing The Role You Were Born to Play and Glees. And I didn't really think about it when I put them together. I thought that they would be um, uh, just because there's so little claim related things in The Role You Were Born to Play. But these two really fit together pretty well. So um, I have some really awesome guests for you today, so I'll let them introduce themselves. <laughs>
1: Hi, this is Mel. You can find me on forty seven Mel forty seven on Tumblr.
3: Uh,
1: and I'm Penna. You can find me at Dampenny Penny on Tumblr.
3: Uh, hi, I'm Annie or uh, Perfect Anomaly on Tumblr. Hi, guys. So, um, welcome to a very grease-related
2: podcast. Um, so, jumping into the role you were born—the role—I'm never going to get that right. The role you were born to play. Um, These particular episodes have quite a lot going on But we're going to kind of stick to the carton Blaine aspects of them Um, And there's not really very much in this one So um, we open with Blaine um, And he and Sam are uh, I don't know what Sam's signing up for But Sam is talking about the musical And how, because they are president, vice president They can just decide to pick whatever part they want but Blaine is not having a great time. Anybody want to like talk about Blaine and his mindset as we, we we come out of the breakup and into this particular episode? Um, <laughs> I just sort of I find it initially kind
1: of hilarious. His sort of dramatic reaction to not being able to play a role in Greece that he's not in the right headspace for Greece. Um, particularly his comment about. Um, later after after, I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit after hopelessly devoted to you that he he can't play the truth of Danny Zuko like it's his big romantic role and it's like Danny Zuko is not a big romantic role (laughs) Danny Zuko is a jackass um but perhaps you know (laughs) maybe that's part of the reason why he doesn't want to play that role feeling like a jackass himself um but I suppose I just he's so sad in this scene sort of leaning against that wall um Talking about you know, he hasn't even gelled on weekends. He's not
2: doing so great. No, he's not. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, and it's interesting because the breakup is such a serious episode, and coming from that one, they really tried to make things a a bit more lighthearted. Obviously, Blaine is in a a darker space at the moment, but he's he's uh, comedically depressed. I guess if that makes sense. And it's also. Think like
0: they often think. Blaine's
2: sadness is kind of adorable, cupcakey. plane yeah, is in this not very good headspace, and um, it's he. You know, he talks about he and, and Kurt had come up with all of these plans to spend the rest of their life together, and they were going to get a lighthouse and start their own artist colony. And now Blaine is kind of in this just despair spiral as he thinks that he's never going to, you know, never going to have that. And he's never going to have Kurt and he's never going to talk to Kurt again. So this poor kid is just not doing
1: very well. And there's also, I suppose it's sowing the seeds for dynamic duets and that he's standing there and he's talking about all of this and sort of, he's not really getting a lot from Sam, Sam sort of like, you know, it'll be fine. He's like, I don't even gel on weekends. Well, it's pretty serious. And he's sort of, there's no real comfort coming from Sam there. So um, this is like the beginnings of the Sam and Blaine great friendship and everything like that. But um, in terms of what Blaine needs, um, he's not necessarily getting that. And that's, that's contrasted throughout this episode where Artie is doing everything he can to help Finn, you know, has gone through this really horrible thing as well, and he's, he's trying to bring him out of that rut and everything like that. Blame. Blank, and that.
2: Yeah, and I think, um, I, you know, I think Sam just may not understand, though, because he's like, everybody's yeah. been through it. But, you know, Sam's been, and he's dated at this point, Mercedes mm-hmm. and Santana and Quinn, and they've all kind of just ended. And and he's kind of gone there, and he's never really had his relationships not too like, undermine them, but they were kind of regular high school relationships where I think that Klain has been framed as a deeper um, relationship at this point. Yeah,
3: I also think uh, the locker scene between Sam and Blaine is uh, very uh, powerful when you compare it to dynamic duets because uh, we, uh, Sam, or uh, we as viewers, we don't know what happened uh, until dynamic duets uh, Sam doesn't know in in the role you were born to play either. So so it makes also sense that it's not he's not that um, uh, supportive perhaps, or he's not he doesn't understand because he didn't know what actually went on. So yeah.
2: Um, and then we
0: get uh, oh sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I think uh, Sam. I mean, we later see how much Sam values the. The happiness of Blaine because he talks about that some episode later where he says you know he likes happy things and so that's why he likes Blaine so much. So um, I guess it would be hard for him to understand that this isn't that this is more than just Blaine's cute little way of dealing with something.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, then we get Blaine singing um, "Hopelessly Devoted to You," uh, which is yeah, very melodramatic and a very sweet. Cupcakey way. Yeah. I mean, he does a great job with it. <laughs> I really enjoy it. He says yeah. there's nowhere to hide. You know? He's yeah. Just- oh. Nowhere to hide. And yeah, he's just, he's so, it's so funny that he says that, he, you know, later on uh, at the end of this, when he's like, I don't feel like I can do this because it's, you know, my, I ruined my relationship, but he, I think he does get. That Sandy song pretty well. I think he does
3: it pretty well. <laughs> it's uh, I think it's fascinating because if you just watch the the song itself, it it you know you could perceive it like he was the one who had been cheated on because he has this uh, well the song itself the, the lyrics and also the way he uh, looks um, he sort of presents himself in the way that he's the one who's been hurt. So, well, he's, of course, he's has, but still, it's, I, I think that's um, uh, quite fascinating because we, as a viewer, we know that it's he who did, <laughs> who did the cheating. And yeah, we can say a lot about that than we did in, in the uh, breakup podcast. But so it's, I, 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 when I watched the uh, performance alone, it feels like he's the one that hurts the most. So, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I think because it's to always, yourself. Oh, go ahead, no go ahead. To yourself, you're always the one that hurts the most. But because um, he feels like hurt pushed him away, but you know they're just so little. <laughs> it's like half of how feels, or something. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, and we talk, and that Oh, go ahead, Mel.
1: Got, I was just like, he's got um, there's guilt along with that hurt, which I think is what is coming. That's what I get through this song. Um, that because he has caught, you know, not the sole reason, but, you know, um, the ultimately the cheating was the straw that broke the camel's back. So I think that he would have a lot of guilt um, on his shoulders at that point in time and that's sort of what what I get from him, um, sort of like that it's a pining for what he's lost yeah. at his own hand.
3: Yeah. yeah. I, I like uh, it's. If- if you, I, I had to go back and watch uh, on my own, actually, because I think there's quite some strong um, parallels between uh, Cough Syrup, and the and when he's on stage, Cough Syrup, uh, how it's filmed and how the lightning is, compared to um, the hopelessly devoted to the uh, audition part, where, where he's standing on stage and you can see his... I don't know, his anguish and his pain, so clearly. So, yeah, I, it's, yeah it's, <laughs> it's very good <laughs> Yeah, Blaine's story
2: um, is very much through song in, in Seasons 3 and then going into Seasons 4. Um, one thing I noticed is that Blaine is not in either of these episodes very much, but um, he has two songs in these two episodes. And he sings a lot in the breakup and he sings in... Um, in makeover and and a lot of his story, especially in season four is through songs and and it was in season three. So we're getting a lot of how he feels about everything through music as opposed to dialogue scenes with other people, which is like, you know, the fact I suppose that even
1: though he is in this episode, a tiny amount, we're getting his response to, to the the breakup. We're getting nothing from Kurt until the next episode.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: which is kind of significant that um, sort of playing on that radio silence, you know, he's not getting anything from Kurt neither away. Exactly. No, we, yeah. And, and,
2: um, oh, go ahead. Oh no, sorry. all right.
1: Keep going.
2: Is that on that point that I was just making? Yeah. I've was, got a new- okay. I was going to say off of your point, um, season four kind of shifts focus from Kurt to Blaine. And a lot of season four is Blaine focused. So mm-hmm. it makes sense to me that they would frame the narrative like, the, a lot of this particular episode is starting with newbie storylines and with Finn storylines that we're not going to really go into. Um, but th- uh, to, to kind of, like, give a little, like, oh, this is what's going on with Blaine and the claim stuff post-breakup, we're going to frame it from Blaine's point of view, and most of the rest of the season is going to be from Blaine's point of view. Yeah. Um, is there any, like,
1: in terms of the Hopelessly Devoted to You performance, the fact that there's that segment, that like takes off frame by frame that scene from across the universe so i want to hold your
2: hand i mm-hmm. i've never They're seen like, it but i've i've been told it's it's uh, almost the same setup as they did in that movie
1: it is it's to the point where the movements of the footballers behind him are the same as in the film and i mean like i'm curious like the the reasoning for that what you know what it what they were trying to do with it was it just something fun to do? Um, is there a connection that the fact that it was "I want to hold your hand" and that's previously been a Kurt song? Are we looking into this too much. Like, <laughs> I mean, just like they've obviously they've done this deliberately. Um, I mean, the song about from uh, from across the universe is sort of it's she's it's unrequited love. Mm-hmm. She's singing. And she's singing to another girl for her love for another girl that she can't have. Um, sort of just wondering what exactly the show is trying to achieve through that.
2: Maybe just thematic overtones. Like here is yeah. somebody like Lane is pining or lamenting the breaking up of his yeah. relationship. So kind of similar themes that way. I've not seen the movie, so I, I can't comment too much. You're not? Aren't you like a mad Beatles fan? I am. Isn't that, it's sad that I've not seen that. <laughs> you really should. It's great. <laughs> so, I, I, I want to note that Blaine has a um, scrapbook of Kurt that he looks yep.
1: through. I mm-hmm. sat make-
2: noted all
1: the photos that I could see <laughs> in terms of his scrapbook. He's got, so he's got photos from Promisaurus.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Kurt's graduation photos. Kurt's presidential photo, which is put on top of sheet music. Can anybody read that sheet music and know what song it is?
2: Oh, I'll have to take a look at that because I I can read music. I just haven't.
1: Yeah. Um, National celebration.
2: Interestingly, there is a photo
1: from the night of the breakup.
2: I know. I must have taken a ton of promo (laughs) shots that night because it's on his phone in makeover too, or in Kurt's (laughs) film. So it's a picture from the night they broke up with a comment,
1: wish you were here (laughs) on the page.
3: I'm oh like, <laughs> really? I,
1: really? I, Did we have they, to
3: use that word? <laughs> They weren't expecting the Tumblr CSI to, you know. <laughs> no, they said, well, yeah, they must
2: have said, hey, we're here. We have a lot of, let's just get a lot of, you know, picks for all of these, you know, upcoming things. And they use a lot of yeah. stills. Maybe they had, and they were really, I don't remember if they were promoting the breakup a hugely amount at the time, but. I'm guessing they just wanted a lot of production sales and they ended up using those for other reasons. Yeah.
1: But it's obvious—it's obviously a page that of Kurt's been sending him stuff, like postcards, a picture of the Statue of Liberty, a picture of the bike, like the one that Kurt was riding when he and Rachel moved into to the loft and things like that. So that's definitely a page of things that Kurt has been sending him and he's been collecting them and putting them in a scrapbook.
2: Now, do you think that Kurt has a scrapbook as well? <sighs> I don't... I can't. I don't really see Kurt as a scrapbooker. Maybe
0: he does something else that's less crafty yeah. and more
1: something else. I don't. I don't feel like scrapbooking would be fashionable enough for Kurt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, oh, sorry, not that sophisticated enough for Kurt. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was just throwing that out there. I have no opinion on it, one way or the other. <laughs> So, Absolutely.
0: did he put this before and then add the breakup photo as they broke up, or did he put it together afterwards to remind
3: himself? That's what a good question. He put the
1: photo from the breakup in there. He's well into self loathing territory right now, isn't he?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Blaine. Oh. So, and then we get, um, I think my favorite aspect of this scene though, is the end where he's on stage and Artie and Finn <laughs> are just kind of like, oh yeah, that was great. You get to be, you know, the, you're the Danny Zuko of our dream And, and Blaine says he can't do it. And then he's like, maybe I can be teenager, but maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: The poor thing. And as I said, like the whole, it's so overdramatic and he he's feeling horrible. Um, but, um, you know, and he says, like, I just can't, I don't want to let you down, which he's directing that comment to Finn. So I don't know whether that's more about that he has already let Finn down with Kurt or something like that. Um, but... My, sort of the note that I've written here, sort of Blaine is the Danny Zuko of their dreams. A, you would never say that to a person after their audition, and B, actually no, because the Danny Zuko in the musical is a douchebag, like actually a douchebag, and Blaine is certainly not Danny Zuko.
2: <laughs> did they think that Danny Zuko was a big, I mean, like, have, do you think the writer saw Grease? <laughs> well, the thing is, the writer, as and this is this will come up, obviously, they're
1: not doing the musical, they're doing the film. And the film Danny is slightly more sympathetic than the stage version, but in both it's like, no, he's a complete, the way he treats her, there is nothing romantic about this. Um, and it's, it's actually. It's like a
0: 12-year-old, say, which sometimes is how they look at things, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, that is true, I suppose. They, but the thing, I'm, because the whole reason I wanted to do this one is I'm currently directing a high school musical version of Greece. Um, <laughs> And my entire cast is picking up, like, it's this running joke every time there's a scene and, and about douchebag Danny and, <laughs> the that he and the things that he does and they look at this scene and they're like, miss, this is kind of rapey and it's and it, like the driving scene and stuff like that. And so I've got students of all ages picking up on it. So it's interesting that they've yeah. sort of written, these high school students, as this that it's this, it's the fantasy of Greece I think is what Glee is presenting because it like I mean we won't we won't get into space orphans opinions but there is that sort of sentimentality that surrounds Greece and that's what the show is playing on not necessarily the actual musical yeah. hey I so was, the people that oh go put ahead
0: in the musical uh, the people that they put in the musical aren't the people who really think about stuff because I mean Finn and Archie have never thought about whether something was misogynistic or whatever no. neither Blaine probably, and, well, Blaine, has, but not in this moment because he's heartbroken, no. and and, and Ryder are young and silly, so
2: yeah.
0: they haven't put anyone in there to, to have that point of view anyway. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Tina's kicked out. <laughs> well, and they,
2: I think that I, I feel like they're using Greece not necessarily to take out themes from the musical itself, but to use it as a vehicle to showcase these new characters. Um, yep. You know, one reason why You know, yes, they, I think the Breakup narrative would have happened Regardless of what they were doing with the newbies But taking Blaine out Means that they don't—they have an excuse now To shove Ryder in and, and put in these other characters In the forefront They deliberately sidelined All of these older characters to make sure That these newer characters were able to be The focus point, if that makes sense Yeah so and hey, I'm gonna be good. I won't say anything derogatory <laughs> about Greece. <laughs> even if I like the music, I it's just not a favorite of mine. So yeah, um, yeah. So that kind of wraps up the Blaine in, in this episode. And he's basically he's not even background. He's just not really there. Um, we get a, t- a shot of him at the end when the cast list goes up, um, and he's all just resigned as Teen Angel. But it's actually.
1: Kind of a little hilarious moment when, when Kitty goes on her ramp like rampage, like who the hell is Patty Sincox? And it's like, well, hey, how does she not really know how does she not know this if she knows Greece? Um and Joe was like, I prayed really hard about this. And Joe makes that comment about maybe because God was like helping people with cancer. And Blaine's like standing next to him with his face, like, yeah, that's a perfectly reasonable explanation to why Oh. <laughs> And then she returns with the shut it avatar and the, his fate, like the three guys, I think it's Blaine, Sam, and Joe. So it's a tiny little moment, but I, it makes me giggle every time. Oh, yeah. From their the reaction to pity at that particular point in time. Yeah.
2: Um, Kind of quickly, just I'm going to quickly go through a lot of this episode, um, like we were talking about, talks about the newbies. There's just – this is the start of when the show really starts to jam-pack. When I was trying to, like, come up with notes and whatnot, I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's so much stuff going on. We've got Finn coming back to Lima after, you know, his breakup with Rachel and trying to really get his foot holding um, in a new place. And it's kind of the beginning of these two episodes, are the beginning of him being a teacher. Um, Artie is kind of, you know, is directing with him and kind of helps Finn along in that Um We have Will and Emma having marital issues, or I guess they're not married yet, but you know, relationship issues that Beast helps out with, and that that plotline is actually, I think, kind of funny. Um, But Will ultimately goes to Washington on his own, and that is done more or less so that Finn can get a to be the focal point character, Um, and then we have all of these new Beast stories. We get the introduction of Ryder, who is kind of the new Finn. We get Marley and her, you know, kind of dealing with these two guys that seem to like her. And then her the eating disorder stuff with Kitty. And then we have, you know, Tina being really angry uh, about everything. And we have Unique, like, who wants to be you. Rizzo. I mean, <laughs> there's just so much in here. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, and then, of course, the, the return of Mercedes and Mike, who don't really get to do much, but they're there. So, duh. Yeah. <laughs> I think I covered everything. Did I miss anything? <laughs>
1: uh the the interaction between Sue and Finn. Oh, yeah. When he the baby
2: comment that ends up in the baby comment. Yeah, and the sort of like yeah. <laughs> I will say I think that it's an interesting episode that they put after the breakup. I understand from Finn's point of view, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and then they often do some really comedic things uh, post serious episodes. Um, but I kind of wonder, uh, what do you guys feel about it being, like, it's not necessarily a continuation of the breakup storylines, with the exception of Finn. It kind of decides to take the show in another direction for a few episodes. So.
0: I don't mind that so much, but I don't mind the newbies as much as you do, partly because I started watching the show about here.
1: So they're not new to me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I, I think, like, we really, like, we consider this episode and the next one Glee. they're almost like two parts of one episode. Yeah. Um, so I suppose I can't even remember watching this for the first time. Um, but having it now and having the whole season there, um, the fact that we don't get a lot of, like, break debrief in this episode doesn't matter all that much because we get some, like, really good stuff in the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in terms, I mean, like, yeah, in terms of narrative structure, but as we said, like, I'm, I'm just trying to, it's, I'm very tired right now. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Um, I'm just trying to gather my thoughts. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's slightly frustrating because these, are, you know, the newbies are not necessarily the characters that, I want to be seeing but then that being said like in this particular episode we get the start of the Marley and unique friendship which was awesome and I really yeah. loved their stuff together and so I think that was great initially I think that Ryder was set up as he could have been a really fascinating character of a student in, with learning difficulties, using music and things like that to help him, but then they decided to put him in a stupid love triangle for, you know, the 60,000th love triangle <laughs> that this show has. And it just, you know, so initially in this episode, it wasn't too bad, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, you know, we needed a little bit of a time to sort of debrief and gather ourselves after the previous episode because that was
3: that was full on. I I also find it much easier to watch now because now I kind of know the the season four newbies, and when I first watched season four, they were completely like foreign to me, so I didn't relate to them at all. But now when I look back and I I already know them because I've seen the uh, rest of the series several times, so um, that sort of makes it uh, more interesting to rewatch now than it was when I originally watched it. So uh, I think, uh, yeah, I I think it works better now when you do have a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, When when I first watched it, I I was only longing to see more of Kurt. And I was, you know, because he wasn't in this episode at all, and I wanted to know what happened with him, you know. They, did, they didn't even say if uh, and Blaine were actually uh, broken up in this episode. So uh, I think when we first watched it, it was frustrating because we didn't, you know, we didn't know what we were going to get. And there were all these new people who, that took up their time. But now, when I look back and when I rewatch it, I, I think I enjoyed it way more than I did yeah. back Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think in general, I think season four, when you are able to just put your DVD in and, and watch it and it works for me anyway, it's a better cohesive narrative than, you know, watching an episode that you really, you know, are, it's really heavy for your characters that you're invested in and then you get a month hiatus and then you get these episodes that don't focus on them. It can be really frustrating, but um I think it, now it, it doesn't it doesn't bother me so much anymore anyway. So
1: and I suppose at this point, there's the new like because initially, Marley, Jake, and Kitty were introduced as almost replicas of like Puck, Rachel, and Quinn, and like in that very first episode of the season. Um, there's and a few more episodes in. They're starting to get the chance to develop a little bit more to become characters more in their own sense as opposed to we're trying to replace the people that we used to have in this club which is how they they sort of started off
2: Mm -hmm. um one really last quick thing mel i'm going to ask you about the the music i mean it's an Mm -hmm. open question to everybody but what did you guys think of the music in this particular one i know there are a couple of re songs but um just in general well
1: i find it curious that the callback song for them, they're calling back the Dannys and the Sandys because they want to be able to show the romance between Danny and Sandy, and they choose a Johnny Casino song. I did find that an interesting choice, <laughs> but Mercedes is amazing on it, and I loved it. <laughs> I think they did all the grease songs like really, really well. They all sounded fantastic on them, um, and in this, I mean, this episode we had there was just the two, um, and they were. Br- I really enjoyed them. So they handled them quite well.
2: Okay. All right, so switching over to Glees. Yeah, again, it, it I agree that it's kind of a two-parter episode, and this kind of just continues the storyline. So basically a lot of the other storylines that we aren't talking about continues from the first one. Um, but we get in now um, Kurt and Rachel. Uh, and um, the first time we see Kurt post-breakup, he is hanging out with Rachel because Rachel is, is going out for the Glass Menagerie. And um, they're doing some kind of workout in the one room that Niada seems to have, and um, he doesn't look so good. No, he's in
1: sweats. His hair's not done.
0: <laughs> that look really, you know, stylish sweats. I don't look that good in sweats. Oh, he
1: looked, <laughs> fanta- he looked fantastic. <laughs> but um, it's a slightly less put-together Kurt Hummel than what we're used to seeing.
2: I mean, they make it's kind of funny because like there's still definitely product in his hair, but it's not perfectly styled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yeah, so he talks about um, you know at the time we I know that I and a lot of other people wanted more insight to Kurt's uh, psyche, I guess at, at at this point. But I think we do get a lot of the picture. I think that you know post breakup, he's been watching a lot of the same movie over again and taking sleeping pills and probably yeah. crying himself to sleep and that's kind of where he's, he's at yeah he's yeah. and, and line has become this huge
0: mystery i think to him it's like what's going on there is i don't know it's all it's all just disappeared he doesn't know what's going on there anymore
2: yeah. no because yeah. we in the other episode blaine talks about you know he, kurt won't talk to him and so kurt we can gather is just cut himself off i mean blaine's sending him Uh, Gilmore Girl box sets and texts and messages and Curtis cut it all off. Yeah, yet he's the one who instigates going back. So he
1: wants he wants to go and see Greece. Um, Rachel was the one that was like didn't want to, Um, and it's sort of like he he's desperate to get back there. Sort of, and it's sort of like you have to wonder sort of what sort of what is he actually seeking at this point. Because when he gets there, like his reaction is such a contrast to what he's displaying at the moment, and you can't like that he's he's got some kind of perhaps like the reality of it all hasn't completely hit him yet until yeah. he actually goes back and he actually he's there and he sees Blaine and he realizes that there's going to be no magical fix to this to this situation. Um, yeah, so he you know he's he's cut himself off, yet he's the one who is desperate to go back and instigates that
3: yeah
0: I think when it you know when you break up with someone and everything's gray behind like you they're all they're doing things without you and you're not sure what they are I just feel like he wants to connect with that because he just doesn't really understand because his whole world was like well, I'm this person because I'm with Blaine, but I'm also this New York person. But now he's lost half of what he thought he was. Yeah, He just wants to figure out what's gone on with that or something.
2: Yep. I guess um, the way I always thought of it is that with the breakup episode, he claims that he wanted to talk to Blaine after the night happened. And then Blaine says that they didn't talk and Blaine just went home. And Kurt has probably had no interaction and – he's now had some time to think about it, but I I agree you guys are like, he, you know, thinking maybe he can come back and everything will be magically fine. And, and he and Blaine will reunite and it'll be great. And, you know, I have not done, you know, Blaine keeps trying to apologize. Maybe that's going to go somewhere. And that's just kind of not how it works when he goes back. Yeah. That's what I sort of have that, that when
1: like the second he sees Blaine, like his face, just falls completely. And as you said, like, he had some fantasy in his head that, that seeing Blaine would make everything better, that Blaine could do or he could say something that would fix everything. Um, but sort of being faced with that reality sort of just emphasised how much, how much he was hurt, how much has been broken, and that it can't be fixed at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: So, just a, a couple quick points about the, the scene um, with Cassie. <laughs> uh, just because it's funny, I, he, Cassie's there and Rachel and Cassie have this whole other side story going on, and she's gonna Cassie's gonna end up sleeping with Brody because I don't know because they can, and Rachel's trying to be an adult and not really succeeding. And, and Kurt's kind of just long for the ride on all of that. But I think it's just funny, the interactions between Kurt and Cassie in the scene. I don't think they really I don't think they do interact any other times other than the scene. Um, and he's just kind of mirroring her and, like, trying to do stretches with her and stuff. And I just think it's funny.
1: He's so cute. And then, like, you know, she offers them the the frequent fly points. He's just nodding his head at the box, like, come on. But when he was mimicking her, he's, he's adorable. He's comment on her abs. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah i mean
0: she seems so polished and um in a way that kurt would probably admire
1: i guess yep. mm-hmm.
2: um, yeah well and also you know she kind of hits the nail on the head in the way that rachel doesn't because she's like hey if you're not over your exes go deal with that and yep. and he kind of latches onto that where Rachel's trying to ignore all of it and be Ms. adult and be like i'm over it i'm done i'm fine yeah
3: But didn't uh, Rachel get sort of a closure during uh, the scientist? Because she actually went back. It wasn't just uh, Finn's fantasy, I think. So she did go back and talk to Finn. But Kurt and Blaine uh, haven't really talked after the breakup. And as I said earlier, they haven't even, probably even decided if they are broken up. So it seems... uh, life be that Rachel feel like she's moved on sort of, or she know she knows where uh, she and Finn is at the moment, but Kurt doesn't really know.
1: Uh, I think so. she thinks that because she has this like when she does go back to Le- like Lima Lima, um, she sort of has gets hit with it all as well. so at this point I think at this point in time she definitely thinks that she's fine that she's over it, that she's moving on, she's going to get a role in an off-Broadway play and she's got a new fella and everything's all wonderful. That um, upon returning to McKinley, she sort of gets hit with the reality stick as well.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that, Mel, you hit the, the nail on the head with that one where she's got all of these other things that, you know, she's got Brody and she's got this Glass Menagerie part that she's going out for and she's got a lot of other things to help – Propel her into this new life in New York where Kurt doesn't. I mean, like, as we said, um, he's kind of just watching movies and not really doing anything.
3: Hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: And everything he's doing is like supporting Rachel in her auditions or whatever.
2: Yep. Um, so they do go back, and we get this small little moment of them walking down the halls and reminiscing about high school. And it, it's like they've been away for 10 years and not just six months or something. <laughs> Yeah. That's <laughs> no, been like
0: that is the very first moment I ever watched of Glay There,
2: them walking down the hallway. Oh. So yeah, do you want to talk about? Because one of the reasons why I wanted you on this podcast because the scene that's coming up um, between you know Finchel and Clayne and specifically between um, Blaine and Kurt. Um, it was really hard for us, like that, that have been watching for a long time, and it's like, oh, more angst. But you told yeah. me once that this is one of the reasons you started watching the show, so I'm very fascinated by that thought. That started watching was because, because um, I just
0: accidentally had it on in the background. I wasn't looking to watch anything in particular. It just turned on on the channel, whatever, and then I looked around and saw these boys who I'd really never seen before, um, and I, I don't know, they were they. They're wonderful um, heartbreak and chemistry and the way that Blaine is like looking at Kurt and hopeful and guilty and C- Kurt can't even look at him and I, l- I felt that that interplay between those two characters was so beautiful but then I started watching Glee <laughs> um, so out of heartbreak <laughs> <laughs> but it just made me reunion stories basically so then I started writing reunion stories, and um, and once you start doing that, then you have to watch a bit more.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was really interesting that like um, you you took this, you know, you saw like the pain and the dark place that these characters were in, and we're like, oh, this is interesting. I want to see more of this. When at the time everybody was like, this sucks, we hate it, we're stopping watching, and and it's kind of cool to have that kind of um, new, fresh perspective to make us. Or mean, me anyway, I really appreciate, oh, there's a really interesting story going on here. Yeah, yeah. beautifully.
0: So, well, to me, because I wasn't watching before, so I wasn't hurt by the breakup, which is unfortunate. And, and I, I did actually find it very difficult to go back and watch the breakup episode because I didn't want to watch the bad bit. I wanted to watch them coming back together because from that very moment I could see that these people were going to be together, you know, that this was... The whatever forever um, relationship and so I didn't want to watch the breakup because that would be watching like the the um, you know the fall before I felt like we would very clearly get the um, rebuilding over time and I love that kind of story I love a reunion story so um, so I was there for the reunion story which I expected to happen a little less stiltedly but I did expect to happen but um, but yeah, then watching the breakup was still horrible, but not as horrible as it was for you guys.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Well, backing up just a little bit, I want to mention Mercedes real quick because she comes in and she says hi, and she hilariously says, "Oh, they're gonna freak when you're here." And I'm kind of like, "Who is gonna really care that Rachel and and Kurt are there? <laughs> not really yeah. anybody." But Rachel get autographs, so I think she already thought
0: that she was famous among the young, the next generation. <laughs> That's true.
1: Um, but then I love it when. Oh,
2: sorry. Maybe, go ahead, she's Ma.
1: about, maybe she's talking about Finn and Blaine because they will literally freak. <laughs> <in that thing.
2: laughs> by uh, oh, shoot. Sorry, my thought left me. Um, oh yeah, that she hightails it out of there the minute she sees Finn and Blaine walk up. She's like, "All right, <laughs> I'm gone. <laughs> People need warm ups. I gotta go." <laughs> yeah. I feel really. like she. Uh, helpfully
0: give Finn some space because otherwise he would need to go and do that job. Um, I think okay. I always believe she's awesome.
3: Yeah. I wonder what Cat was, was thinking here because he said when he was walking in the hallway with Rachel that uh, he was afraid of running into uh, you-know-who, which I assume is reference <laughs> Sorry, uh, referencing Blaine Uh, But you know, the minute Kurt sees him He's... I don't know, he looks almost... Angry? Uh, Well that's the moment,
2: at least my interpretation, is that it becomes real Like up until this point, Blaine is like, you know, he hurt him And in that moment, but it's been, you know, a month So that, that pain dilutes a little bit, and it doesn't feel so bad Um, But the minute he sees him again, it's like, oh, crap, this is somebody I love a lot, and he hurt me a lot, and I still can't look at him. I can't do this. I can't, you know, he shuts right down. So it's it's not necessarily anger as it's just the reality of the situation. Like this person who I thought was so amazing and would never hurt me hurt me in one of the worst ways possible, and I don't know how to deal with that.
1: And so, well, he deals with it, but just he will not give Blaine anything. And, like, you can see Blaine is watching. He's desperate for some kind of interaction, and Kurt gives nothing. There is no verbal communication between the two of them in this scene. I think Kurt whispers a no, but he directs that towards Rachel. Um, like, he just... And the wall Rachel. comes up.
0: Sorry? Kurt, his first words are to say that Rachel's auditioning for something.
1: Um, yeah, but it's sort of – I think somebody – there is some sort of question that's – or Blaine says some – I don't know, but Kurt, the only – Kurt will not interact with Blaine. Anything yeah. that he says or does is with Finn or Rachel. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: What, he, oh, sorry, go ahead, now. No, that's all right. Okay, oh, I was just going to say there's so much interesting nonverbal play going on here because you have Finn and Rachel, and, of course, they're going through their, like – little pretend shtick of everything's fine. I'm going to pretend that we didn't, like, break each other's hearts. And well, I'm going to, you know, Rachel's like, I'm going to, you know, doing well. And Finn's like, I'm doing well, too. And here you've got these two boys who, like, are are kind of, you know, I know that Kurt's not looking at Blaine at all, but it's all this nonverbal communication body language and the way they're both acting, you know, Blaine desperately trying to apologize in his body language and Kurt being like, I can't do this. And... You know, and and there's one moment where Finn says, "You know, we're really proud of it," and Lane kind of pops up a little bit, like, "You know, I'm proud of this too," and I want you to yeah. be proud of me again because last year at this time when we were doing the musical, you were proud of me, and yeah, so <laughs> I know there's a lot of it's this scene as angsty as it is and as much Finchel in it, it's really kind of amazing. It's it's a really great moment between the two of them as much as our hurts. Oh, yeah. I think that's incredibly like. Yeah.
1: It's done so well, both and then they're seen later on in the episode. They're great. Oh, fantastic. And they're so, um. they're really not, even though they don't
0: really interact, they're not, there's so much space where you could be mean to one another or cruel. They have so many weapons that they could use against each other and you don't see them, they're not uh, They're not probably in a space to be able to do that here, but e- even later, they, you don't see them try and use those, you know, use all that information that they have.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's one thing that sticks through the narrative of the breakup that, um, no matter what, both breakups they aren't mean to each other. They they don't you know get in digs at each other. They don't go to a lower level. It's they're very good towards each other despite the whole breaking up part of it. Yeah. Um. The other thing I always like to mention though is Kurt is. Primarily, can be wearing black for a long, long time, um, but the contrast of uh, Kurt wearing black and Blaine wearing white during the scene—I just, I, I'm not the great at, at, at clothes meta, but I do think it was intentionally done, and it's, it's very striking. Yeah,
3: it's it's also I, I I think you know the black and white, uh, metaf- usually metaphors like sinner and saint. But here it's we as a viewer, we we, we know that the plane is the sinner. Uh, yet he's like the angel in this episode, and he's wearing white, whereas Kurt is uh, wearing black. So I, I don't know um, um, what the clothing uh, department oh, how much influence they had on on the story, but. I feel it's so it's, uh, poignant that they chose to, to present them in this way because, um, I don't know, I just feel that um, w- w- we talked a lot about this in the last podcast, but um, even though uh, Blaine was uh, responsible for, for the cheating, um, I think uh, Kurt was uh, co-responsible for the breakup, like, overall. So... It's, uh, I don't know if it was intended like a saint and a sinner uh, metaphor, but I still find it um, particular that they chose those colours or, or those images for them uh, when they first met after the breakup.
0: Well, yeah, and if you're an angel, you're supposed to be there to save. I mean, he, And Blaine was always supposed to be, I guess, when he was introduced, sort of supposed to be the one to save. And he's another... Image where he's an angel,
3: I guess. white
2: knight. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly, white knight angel and that sort of stuff. And yeah, but also Kurt just moved to New York. He has to wear black all the time.
2: It's yeah, like a <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but you know, and I think that also something that the the costume department has done um, consistently over the years is matched them anyway. Um, most of the time when they are in the scenes together, their clothing. Match or complement each other, and um, yeah. whether it has any deeper symbolism or not, it's still kind of visually very uh, a, a nice thing. It shows that these two are a, a pair, not to diminish them as individual characters, but that this is a, a a relationship, and this is not just a one-off thing. Okay, so kind of moving on from this, um, we have the Teen Angel performance. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, and the thing that sticks I actually just watched this before we started and um, it kind of showcases something that I think um, Darren in particular is very good at at being this kind of um, he presents Blaine and I think in, in turn it shows Blaine as this kind of debonair teen angel like Prince Disney Prince, going to sing this gorgeous song. I mean, he's singing about, you know, going to beauty school or, like, dropping out of beauty school and going back, you know. But it's Frenchie's, um, it's her um, daydream or whatnot. And he he plays the parts so well. And he's so suave and so put together and so just... Charming in this scene Until that moment that he sees Kurt And I think that's really fascinating
3: Even though it wasn't his song I think just the intro uh, Where he says The story sad to tell Most mixed up non-delinquent That could uh, very much be him as well Not so, not just Frankie
2: <laughs> So uh, yeah um, So yeah He, he he's, uh, sings it until he sees Kurt In the um, In the audience And he kind of uh, has this moment of when he breaks character and not that you'd be able to really see that but um, He breaks character and and kind of that moment of pain comes back onto it and then he goes back and he, you know covers himself up and then goes back into it and Continues to be all flirty with Frenchie and, and I, I think it's a really interesting performance.
0: Yeah, and um, Vanessa Lingies or whatever her name is. is just so wonderful. Yes. She's just um, She's just I don't know. Her face is just as watchable as Blaine's, which is tough to do, I think, in a yeah. musical. She's
1: perfect for Frenchie. Yeah. It's
2: just that wide eyed, like, oh, I'm, you know, he's so dreamy and this is amazing. And that, yeah, it's it's really cute. You make it up very well.
3: <laughs> you can see the. Oh, sorry, the no, no, I just want to say that, you know, the double take he does, it's just, I I remember uh, watching this, like, for the second time and I was just stunned about uh, Darren's acting because you could just see him lose it for a couple of seconds and he looks completely devastated and then suddenly he's back, you know, as a performer and that's both Blaine and Blaine's character, as well as Darren doing a great job with, you know, showing Blaine losing his uh, facade and putting himself sort of back together in a second. And it's so fascinating to see, and, it, and especially if you look at um, at gifs of the of the scene, you can really see how how well the acting is and his connection to Kurt and it's just I, I just love how well the entire scene is filmed when looking back and forth between Kurt and Blaine
2: Yeah, and Kurt doesn't um, he's got like no expression on his face during this he's just very like I don't know, a stoic isn't really the right word um, just watching and taking it in and, and trying not to react or so It's very
0: interesting. Because Rachel Rachel was like, they will never see us sweat, so that's what he's going for. Yeah. Which I think, I mean, Kurt does throughout. I don't know him as early on as well as others, but he he does tend to go for a, if people hurt me, I won't let them see.
3: When the song is finished, you can see him, uh, that he had been crying during the close-up when Rachel was walking out of the auditorium. So. It did affect him, even though he tried yeah. to stay stone-faced. Well, yeah, what kind of
2: an it's an interesting mockery, maybe, because Blaine is playing Teen Angel, like that he was brought on the show to be the White Knight, Disney Prince type yeah. character, and here it is presented on stage, and we know that deep down, you know, Blaine is not this perfect character. They no longer have this perfect romance. So the juxtaposition of that is really interesting. All right. So yeah, it's like, oh, sorry.
0: sorry They've made a joke of that whole, of the whole thing, you know, um, Blaine saying that he could maybe play that part and then him being in all white and Kurt being in all black and then moving on to playing it and he's all on stage in white and Kurt's in the dark in the black. So it's just... um. I guess they turned
2: around the teen angel thing pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other um, performance I want to talk about real quickly is that you're the one that I want, um, which Marley and Jake, not Jake, uh, Ryder sing first. And then Finch, Finch will come in because I think Rachel at this point is daydreaming and Finn and Rachel may be having a shared daydream. I don't know. I can't tell. Um, <laughs> it's uh, Rachel's fantasy. Rachel's fantasy. Uh, yeah, it's uh, like- I think it's interesting that first I just want to, I just want to give a short shout out to Corey Monte's singing because I rag on Finn a lot, but he, I mean, you could tell he has had a vocal coach and he sounds really good on this performance. And, and um, they, when they come in after Marley and Ryder, I'm like, wow, this is really good. They're both really good at this. So, but yeah, then get we little,
1: get the little call back to the pilot with the two of them. Yeah. Sort of that in her fantasy, like it starts with the two of them back in the very first episode.
2: It cracks me up, they leave the reaction that Kurt has in, that, in the pilot scene.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or it just Finn's utter look of, like, terror at Rachel when she <laughs> <laughs> And that
0: very close-up of her face that they do in both shots which just yep. feels... She feels so threatening to
1: me or so
2: um, <laughs> intense
0: I want to take several steps back out of the room.
2: Yeah.
0: Whereas... Marley and – whereas Marley and Ryder we only see from the audience because they're fantasy, they're just – they're doing the performance. So, yeah, whereas that I find it quite disturbing. I don't really want to see Rachel that close. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind her. It's just people shouldn't be that close to me.
2: <laughs> so uh, – but we do. We get all of the couples um, back together, dancing together. And I always I, – I notice that, you know, we have – it's been um, – it's been just a lot of times with the stuff with Clay and doing the little hand dancy thing. Um, but they have some really cute moments like in the background when they're all fuzzy. They're really hamming it up a little bit more than they are when the camera's on them, actually. It puts, I mean, like, it's it's such a fun song. Um, yet it puts
1: this kind of heartbreaking spin onto it, having all these couples on it that are no longer together. Like, it's quite effective. I, I like the sort of the twist that, they've, that they have done there, that um, this, like, big, fun celebration number at the end of the show has sort of been turned on its head a little bit because of everything else that's been going on.
2: I kind of wonder, too, if this was the writer saying, hey, we're not done with these relationship narratives. Like, we know we broke up your favourite couples, but, you know, we, we're still planning on doing things with them.
0: Yeah, and I mean, essentially, they ended up together. Apart from Mike and Tina, and Mike and Tina had their sort of chance, and obviously Finn and Rachel, but that was outside of anyone's control. So, yeah, then that, that was their couples.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just really quickly, there's a little bit of Britannia and a little bit of Tyke in this episode, and um, both of those couples are. Better with each other than, than where Finchel and Klein are with each other. But I wonder if that's because, um, well, Tyke, we, we find out later, is done. I mean, I know a lot of people thought that they would eventually, eventually get back together, but therefore they don't get back together. And Britannia, it's going to be a very long time before they get back together. So I wonder if leaving those couples in a maybe happier place, they, because they knew that, you know, okay, those are not going to be the narratives that we follow.
0: And when things are sad, then you have to like in a story, you have to change it. but these ones they they yeah, they weren't going to do anything, so it's not I don't think it's about like making sure fandom's okay with it or anything. I think it's about like a narrative is pulling somewhere, and if it's if it's sad, it is pulling very hard, it's like a huge tide. But if it's just sort of acceptable, then things aren't going very aren't going to go, aren't going to move very much.
2: Mm. That's your point. Um, so after the performance, we have a first, um, Rachel and Finn kind of have their conversation, that's their first time they really, really get to have a, a conversation. And um, after that is when Kurt and Lane finally have a conversation for the first time after the breakup stuff. And it's, you know, I remember when it first aired, and a lot of us were upset that it wasn't longer. But, you know, the more I've watched this episode, and the more I've seen it within context... I'm not so sure it needs to be any longer. I think that it shows the point of where they are in the narrative really pretty well in a nice, concise way. So I don't know if they need it anymore. Yeah,
0: it's hard to have them talk more when they're not being cruel to one another, and they're not getting back together. I don't know. There, I don't know that
1: there was much more to say. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, this was this was more Kurt. This was Kurt's chance to get out what he needed to say. Because, as you said, you know, we get. Um, very little dialogue from Blaine um, in the scene. I mean, he initiates the conversation, um, which is coming, you know, desperately wanting to apologise, wanting to fix things. Um, But, like, earlier on, Kurt's not going to let him do that. Um, And it becomes about him. Um, So, like, yeah, we sort of get the, after sort of Kurt starts, we just get, like, this really when so Kurt sort of says that, you, what are you going to tell me, you know, that you didn't care about him, and we just get this, like, really quiet, I didn't care from Blaine as Kurt sort of keeps going with what he's saying. Um, and, yeah, they, I think it's – he says everything that he needs to say at this point.
2: Right. I think that, you know, it, it for Kurt, it's, okay, this is not working – you know this place does not feel like home. Blaine no longer feels like home. I need to yeah. go back to New York and and try and continue my life. And mm-hmm. um and and so it's done. And and Blaine's story is going to continue because we've got dynamic duets dynamic duets after this, and a lot of other Blainish story where he starts to work on himself, which he does need to work on himself. Um, yeah, yeah this is kind of the end of the breakup portion because after this they are the next time they interact it's going to be um the thanksgiving episode and that's where they start to move back together towards each other
0: it's such a terrible way that blaine starts this conversation too because yeah he brings up immediately oh this you know the guy i hooked up with which is is just the worst possible way to start a conversation like this i just um there's nothing that would make kurt feel more sick and that would clarify in his, you know, a stone in his stomach as as he was speaking. And, yeah, I'm impressed that Kurt just walked away. I know he rolls his eyes and whatever, but fair enough, because that's just such an awful thing to start with. And Blaine's just made a mistake, you know, Yeah, thinking that what's important or something. I mean, it is what's important, but thinking that, that ha- that's how to begin the conversation. Oh.
2: <laughs> but Blaine, Blaine still has so much of himself in his work on it. I'm not saying that you can't work on yourself and be in a relationship but I think that uh, you know uh, when we were talking about the breakup stuff in the Blaine episode somebody mentioned that Blaine wanted to break up with Blaine and that like he, he's just
3: kind of I don't know he's just not in a good place with himself with or without him I, th- I think that uh, even though it may not have been smart of Blaine to bring up um, the <laughs> Uh, the person he cheated with, uh, I th- I still think it makes sense because Kurt was uh, sort of um, addressing it in the breakup episode. Uh, so I think uh, maybe Blaine thinks it's important to him, even though he, he did uh, Kurt did say so in the breakup episode that it wasn't, he it didn't matter. Uh, or no, uh, Blaine said it didn't matter and Kurt was asking whether it was Sebastian. So I think maybe that's what that is why why Blaine wants to talk about it because he thinks Kurt cares. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that conversation hasn't been finished, so that's that's true. Yeah,
3: I
1: like I mean at this point, Kurt doesn't need to hear. Like it doesn't matter to Kurt that it that this person didn't matter to Blaine or whatever. Blaine's still done this. and that's all. Like it's that's all that Kurt can can see or can understand is that Blaine has been with somebody else. The details surrounding that does not matter to Kurt at this particular point in time. Um, and it's yeah, the wounds are still too fresh to even discuss that together. As in terms of what led to it, um, you know, everything surrounding it that they can't. There's no way that they could possibly have that conversation at this point in time because everything is still so incredibly raw.
2: Yeah. And I think also uh, Kurt, you know, for Blaine to say, hey, I slept with this guy and it didn't mean anything for Kurt is a hard thing to hear because Kurt, you know, that kind of intimacy is so sacred to him. The fact that Blaine would just go sleep with somebody, it's just, you know, and to say that it didn't mean anything, I mean, I think maybe – I don't know if Kurt could handle it if, if, like Blaine said, you know, I fell in love with somebody else. But maybe he, or maybe he could understand that a little bit better. But just, when Blaine's just like, yeah, I just hooked up with this guy and it didn't matter, that just is also adding salt to the wound.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like, well, what does that say about our relationship if you're going to risk that with somebody that doesn't matter?
2: Yeah,
1: it's sort of that where where I would imagine Kurt. From
2: and at the same time, I would like to mention that Kurt saying that you are no longer my home and Kurt leaving again is what just Blaine even more because Blaine is, you know, has a rocky relationship with his family and is kind of always feeling like he's, you know, on his own or alone or, or his, one of his fears is being alone all the time. And so for Kurt to be like, you know I'm done and, you know, goodbye, well, he doesn't actually say goodbye, but like, that is devastating to blame. So, yeah, it's it's a hard little thirty seconds. Yeah,
0: and it also reminds Blaine of what because even saying it's about trust and you're not home, this isn't home anymore. You're not home anymore. That says to Blaine what they had and the things that he thought had already gone you know, that he essentially gave up by he. he I don't know, it just reminds him of all that he's lost as well as reminding him of
2: um, that he doesn't have Well yeah, and it's kind of interesting now that I think of it um, how this is, you know, the opposite I mean, last year at this time they were doing West Side Story and they were finding that physical intimacy with each other for the first time and here, you know it's flipped and, and Blaine has broken that trust and um they are just kind of in the opposite I don't know if it's opposite, but you know, in, in a completely different uh place than they were when they you know, a year ago at this time. So so um so that kind of wraps up Glee. Um Blaine is in the last scene where they
3: hear the reviews of the performance. Um but <clears throat> I just wanted to say, uh, I think one uh, cat says in the end of the hallway scene that uh, I don't trust you anymore. Uh, I feel um, that it's uh, sort of the core of the, their breakup uh, because until well, until they broke up, Kurt uh, naively perhaps believed that just because he was so. Determined to make it work, and he, you know, he if to he he to him, he, he needed you know the trust and determination. Uh, whereas Blaine uh, needed you know to act on uh, his love and the uh, assurance. So so when Kurt, for him, uh, the trust and the um, determination of the relationship to work was sufficient for him. And when he say, when he says, I don't trust you anymore, it sort of um, goes straight to the problem of wh- why didn't this work f- uh, for them, but for him. Um, that was, I think, that was why why the cheating happened in the first place, because Blaine didn't get what he needed, and now. Um, character is pressed um. Crashed. Yeah. Okay, that wasn't very eloquent. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I get you. are just kind of <laughs> tying it in. Tying with, it. Oh, I'm echoing. I'm no, it, just, it was tying everything. You know, the nice thing about season four, uh, when we talked in season three a lot, a lot of things were episodic. I mean, yeah, there were some plot lines that would you know, continue through the season. Finchel obviously had a big one, but most everything was episodic, and this one you know these storylines are going to continue all through this season, so everything kind of just builds on what came before it. So yeah, um, did anybody else have anything they want to talk about before? I mean, we're not going to really get into. It. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in this episode um, and tying in with the one before it, and it's it's. Stupid. I noticed that I noticed that when I
0: watched this episode, because I I um you know this is where I started watching it, so I always put it fairly high up on my um, list of episodes that I like, but when I watched it again, I thought, why? Cause there's, I mean, apart from the their claim stuff, it's really appalling. This episode is just terrible. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm glad I got to watch it again, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think it's, yeah, there's a lot of things like, I'm not going to, I don't even want to start in with the Marley eating disorder stuff. Um, You know, it's it's awkward and it's disjointed, and I think that's why sticking with just the clean stuff, you know, might be a better idea. So, well, um, I want to thank you guys for um, joining me on talking about uh, these two episodes and all of the angst and hurt that is going that went into them. But no we are going to. Start to go to a happier place in a minute in a, in, a, in the next episode. So, um, join us next Sunday when we talk about dynamic duos and have a great. Finder found
0: you, my missing puzzle piece. I'm complete.